Hey, welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. This is Josh Howerson, our senior pastor. Let me fill you in on something that's happening in the life of our church right now. We're in the middle of a season that we're calling No More Fatherless at our church, where we're embracing and pressing towards a call to do four things. To plant 20 churches in Central and South America, to set up an adoption fund that'll help the next 50 families in our church adopt children, to pay off the mortgage of a crisis pregnancy center that's going to enable them to save 200 unborn lives per year, and then to do what needs to be done to expand our Spring Hill location that's currently running five services that will set us up to reach 10,000 people for Christ in the coming years. If you, as part of the extended family of our church, would be interested in contributing to what God is doing here, you can just visit nomorefatherless.com and get more information about what's happening and how to give. That being said, let's get you to the podcast. All right, if you guys got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, Matthew 7, man, if you are new with us, uh, we are incredibly honored that you're here. My name's Josh. Um, I'm the senior pastor of our church and one of the elders here, and we're just honored that you crammed in like a sardine at our uh, 9.30 service. Uh, Hey, while you're turning there, two quick things I want to celebrate. Unbeknownst to you, you are gathering on the largest baptism Sunday the bridge has ever had. And so that's right, man. So today, um, across all of our services and all five services, uh, we will finish the day having baptized 17 new Christians in our church. And yeah, man, we're really excited about that. And uh, man, let me just go ahead and tell you, um, in our first service, there were 10 new people that responded for salvation in the first service. So man, we're just, we'll see what's going to happen uh, to you. Some of you are going to have your lives all wrecked in this service. And it's going to be great. Um, so that's one thing to celebrate. Number two, uh, I got a huge celebration uh, for our church family. Um, as you guys know, three weeks ago, we gathered um, to give to what we've been calling the no, our No More Fatherless initiative. That's a calling that our church has felt from the Holy Spirit Um, to address and eliminate spiritual and physical fatherlessness, Uh, spiritual fatherlessness through salvation and physical fatherlessness through the protection and adoption of children. And so, man, there's a lot into that that I won't re-communicate, but we gathered three weeks ago for our church to commit to uh, giving to that initiative over the course of the next three years. Now, let me just say this, okay? We are still receiving uh, gifts and commitments, and we know that's going to happen for honestly for about the rest of this month. But I am incredibly humbled and excited to announce to you that as of today, the total amount that people have given and committed stands right now already at $2,547,697. Yeah, dude, that is crazy, crazy. So man, um, if you honestly, if you are new with us, Uh, What I hope you see is how much this church loves you and how much this church loves uh, the lowly and people in need. And so, man, I I am so proud of you, uh, church family. Uh, Let me say this. As you know, we, I think we're going to reach our goal of 3 million by the end of this year at the pace that we're on. And so, man, uh, if that's you, man, if you'd help us get to the big goal was 100% participation from our church. So if you'd help us out by that, you can grab the little card on the seat in front of you, no more fatherless. Fill that dude out, drop it in the mail. And uh, just remember that, I mean, honestly, there is no gift too small and there is no gift too large. Amen. Come on, somebody. So we can, we'll figure that out together as a family. Now, here's where we are today. Um, we're starting a, uh, an Advent series, our Christmas series, just called He Shall Be Called. And here's where this comes from. Um, my favorite passage in the Bible uh, about pointing forward to Advent, pointing forward to the coming of Jesus 
It's in Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 6. And here's what it says. It says, for to us, a child is born. Some of you guys have heard this from Linus. For to us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called. That's where we got the series title. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so what we're doing during this series is each week we're centering ourselves on one of those titles of Jesus and what he has been called to be uh, in our lives. So today what we're hitting is wonderful counselor, okay? The wonderful counsel of Jesus. Now, here's why this is so important, okay? Uh, Everyone, at some point in your life, you can look back and you can go, man, that was terrible advice, right? Uh, You're in college and your buddy says, hey man, she is crazy, but she's hot, so you should keep dating her, okay? that's bad advice. You guys know, I mean, just think about this. There's so many situations you can think, oh, that actually happened. So in 2007, people all over New York City were telling their rich friends, man, in, you're investing for retirement. You know what you have to do? You've got to meet my friend Bernie Madoff. You've got to do it, right? And people lost their entire lives based on that counsel. Uh, I'll give you another one. Uh, when I was in student ministry and doing college ministry, uh, I cannot tell you how many times people actually told somebody this. Oh man, you guys are dating and you're having relational problems. You know what you, you should do that would ease up all your relational problems? Have a baby. That's what you should do. It's going to make life so much more easy. And so that it'll solve all your relational problems. Have a baby, right? Doesn't work that way. Uh, I'll give you another one. What I'm getting ready to show you on the screen is an actual advertisement for cigarettes from the 1950s. You you guys know this. This is an actual thing. This was actually a magazine. So look, more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. And then my favorite is at the top left. I'm going to grow to 100 years old, right? And the the thought was like cigarettes uh, are actually good. People actually believe that. So I want you to think about this. Just 30 years ago, If you'd have walked into your grandparents' house and said, man, I just can't get rid of this cough and I'm not feeling well, they would have said, you know what you got to do? Smoking. It's going to solve all your problems. You're going to be so much healthier. Everything's going to be great. Now, listen, that's literally life-threatening counsel, right? I want you to think about this, okay? Think about this. What if there was a person whose counsel was always wonderful? What if there was a person who, no matter what you asked them, they were always a true north. They always, everything they said was always profitable to you. And you could ask about anything. You could ask them about relational problems. You could ask, how can I get from point A to point B? I want to get healthy financially. You could ask them about your career. You could ask them for counsel about the biggest issues of human existence. Now, what, what, how do I press into true happiness and eternal life and ultimate truth? And everything they said would lead you straight into perfect counsel. What if there were a person like that? Well, there is, and his name is Jesus. He is the wonderful counselor, all right? So what we want to do is we want to, what does that mean? What does it mean for Jesus to be a wonderful counselor, all right? So if you got your Bibles, Matthew 7, we're going to read one of my favorite passages in the scriptures. Pick up with me in verse 24, where Jesus tells a story about the wonder of his counsel. That's what he does here, okay? So here we go, Matthew 7, 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Now listen closely to verse 26, because there's a big misconception about this story. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now, let me start just speaking really bluntly to you. What Jesus just said is that there is only one firm foundation that will last through centuries and millennia, and you are either holding it in your hand or clicking it on your iPhone. And it's this book. Every word of this book is a firm foundation upon which you can fix your feet, and you will stand when storms come. Now, really quick, okay? Let me do a little theology really quick because we got some skeptics in the room. Uh, You, if you are a critically thinking person, you might have a problem with what I just said because you right now are putting two pieces together. You're going, wait, what you're going, wait, Josh. Jesus said, whoever hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. But you just said, this whole book is the firm foundation. And Josh, not all of this book are the words of Jesus. So Josh, you got your theological math wrong. Well, let, let me, let me uh, say something about this really quick and, and help us with this. Okay. Let me give you some amazing facts about this book. Okay. Here's some amazing stats. This book has 60, there are 66 books within the Bible. This book has 1,189 chapters. If you read it cover to cover. This book in those chapters has 31,102 verses. And if somebody asked you, how many writers were part of writing the Bible? The answer is somewhere around 40. Now, class, I got some, here's my trivia for you. It has 66 books, 1,189 chapters, 31,102 verses, and 40 writers. How many authors? One. One author. Because the Bible says that all of it is breathed out by God. Furthermore, it says that Jesus himself is the word of God and that he is the one that's been behind the inspiration of all the Bible. So 40 40 writers, one author. Now, let me get on a practical level and get low and just talk about like, man, what does it look like for this to be wonderful counsel in in like actually on the ground level in the Christian life, okay? Um, There's a passage in John 16 uh, where Jesus said something that really bothered me for a long time. Um, In John 16, Jesus said to his disciples, it is better for you if I leave. It's better for you if I go. Because he said, if I go, then I'll send the helper, the Holy Spirit, and he'll guide you into all truth. Now that, honestly, that used to really bother me because I was like, man, how in the world could it be better for me if Jesus went, wouldn't it be better for him to be standing next to me? Uh, Think about this. Can you imagine what it would have been like to walk next to Jesus. Can you even imagine? Okay. Uh, you got a hard theological question. Boom. He answers it. Uh, you run out of wine while you're tailgating. You look over at Jesus. You're like, don't even play, man. I know you can do it. Here's my Yeti mug. Do your thing, whatever it is. Uh, you're at a party. They run out of checks mix. Boom. You know, he takes one, multiplies out through the whole thing. Uh, your dog dies. Jesus resurrects it. Your cat dies. Jesus digs a hole to help you get, get rid of the... <laughs> Ah, Jesus, ah, Jesus. Some of you are like, that's not funny. That's not funny. Okay, no, listen, that's it. But can you imagine? Can you even imagine what it would have been like to be next to Jesus? So how in the world, in what way could it possibly be better 
that Jesus left. How could it be better? Well, when Jesus was here on earth as a man, God made flesh. Uh, One Jesus could stand in one place with one person, giving one counsel at a time. And do you know what he's done now? Now what he's done is he has ascended and he sent his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit lives inside of every Christian everywhere. And the Holy Spirit is guiding you into all truth, bringing to your mind all of these words so that you can fix your feet on a firm foundation. The Spirit of God will fix your feet on the Word of God. And he lives inside of every Christian. He's doing that all the time. Okay, now listen, what you got to understand is that that is the only firm foundation this world has to offer and everything else, all other ground is sinking sand. You got to understand that, okay? I'll give you an example of this. Uh, you, you are either going to learn this by faith in this word, or you are going to learn this by a series of hard knocks. Um, when I was a student pastor uh, up in Louisville before coming down here, there was a girl in our student ministry, and she, this was the girl that was like uh, queen of the student ministry. She was, you know, cool, she was cute, she was popular, straight A student, she was athletic. And uh, I got the call one morning, 3 a.m., hey, we need you to come down to the children's hospital uh, because she had OD'd on some of her parents' uh, painkillers, and there was a chance that she could lose her life. So I rushed down to downtown Louisville, get there, and they're pumping her stomach. The next day she wakes up. I'm in and out of the hospital for about three days. And when she wakes up, they found out that she did it on purpose in order to try to take her life. Um, And so I'm there for those three days, and when she woke up, this isn't her real name, but I just said, hey, Jessica, You have everything, like everything in your whole life is going well. Uh, Why did you do that? And her response was, her boyfriend had just broken up with her. Her response was, if he didn't love me, then I didn't think that I could ever be happy again. Now, I want you to think about this. Here's what happened to her. She tried to build her happiness on the love of a person, and that could not withstand the storm of a breakup, and great was the fall of it. That's what happened. Now, what you have to understand is that every person in this room, you are building your life on something. And if it's not Jesus and his word, then great will be the fall of it. So think about this with me, okay? If you try to build your self-worth on being beautiful, then that foundation will not stand the storm of old age. If you try to build your security on your wealth, that will not stand the storm of the next recession, If you try to build your identity on being a successful person, that will not withstand the storm of coming failure. If you try to build your happiness on the approval of people, listen to me, guys. If you live for their acceptance, you will die from their rejection. That will happen to you. If you try to build your righteousness on your own moral performance, you will not be able to stand the storm of your coming moral failure, and that is going to happen, or seasons of spiritual dryness when your communion with God is not rich. Listen to me. Show me a Christian whose confidence in the love of God does not waver with their performance up and down, and I will show you a Christian whose confidence is fixed on the firm foundation of the righteousness of Jesus. He is the only firm foundation. Christian, I I need you to understand this. Do you understand when you are doing really good and you're obeying all the time and you're reading your Bible every day and your spiritual disciplines are really consistent? Listen to me. God loves you. And listen to me, Christian, when you're doing really bad and you're in the depth of your depravity and you're not reading your Bible every day and your spiritual disciplines are totally gone, listen, God loves you. Do you know why? Because the foundation of the Christian life isn't how you're doing, it's how Jesus did. 
That is the only firm foundation upon which you can stand. God won't love you any less, and he can't love you anymore because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is the only firm foundation that will stand the storm of everything in life that comes to you. Now listen, here's a question, okay? If that's the firm foundation, the question then becomes, okay, so, so what's the deal with all this, this sand building? And here's why I say this, okay? I read this parable wrong for probably the first 10 years that I was a Christian. And most people, when they read this parable, they read it wrong. And, and here's what I mean. A lot of people, when they read this parable, they see the guy that builds his house on sand, and they think, oh, that's all the atheists and partiers and horrible sinners, and then the Christians are all the ones who are building their house on the rock, okay? That can't be right for two reasons. One, the context of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is prophetically speaking against a bunch of people who claim to be followers of God and know their Bibles really well, okay? But number two, I, I want you to see this with me. Look down in verse 26 and notice something the passage says about the guy that's building on sand. Here's what it says. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. Did you, now, did you notice this? The foolish man that is building his house on sand, the text says he is also hearing the word of God. So think about this. If you st stick these two people next to each other, wise man, foolish man, they are both in their daily, daily Bible reading plan. They both lean forward when the sermon starts at church because they love the preaching of the word of God. They both are downloading their Christian podcasts. They both are reading their Christian books. What's the difference? One guy is a doer and the other guy is only a hearer. That's what it means to build your life on sand. So let me help you out with this, okay? If you study particularly the New Testament, there are four very, it's, you, don't, you, cannot, you can be doing it and not even know that you're doing it. There are four ways to build your house on sand, okay? Here's what they are. Four ways, real quickly, to build your house on the sand. Number one, number one, read this book, but when you read it, always read it for somebody else, okay? This is the person who only reads the Bible with other people in mind. Now, really quick, l listen. I am especially speaking to you if you are a leader here at this church. If you're on staff here, if you're a community group leader, uh, if you... Uh, if you are volunteering or you're in bridge lead in any way, this, in my experience, is the most dangerous way for you to build your house on sand. So listen, I'm speaking to you, but I'm also speaking to somebody else. Here's the other person I'm speaking to. I'm speaking to the person that I see every time I preach and I make a really good point and you nudge your spouse and go, mm-hmm, I'm talking to you. Okay, do this right now. Touch your neighbor, say, this is for you. Right now, do it. Say, touch your neighbor, say, this is for you. Right now, this is for you, okay? Now listen, here's what I mean. It is possible to read this book and only be thinking about how other people should be doing it. Um, years ago, I had a, a dear pastor friend that was close to our family. And uh, he had been in a fruit, fruitful ministry for almost 20 years, uh, pastor of a very large church. And uh, it came out that he had had multiple affairs and he... Uh, fell from the pastorate. Um, and what was scary about this was this, this was the guy that everyone would have looked at and said, there's no way that that will ever happen to him. He was that guy. Um, so it came out, multiple affairs over 10 years. Uh, he fell from the pastorate. So he uh, was out. And then after a couple years, he came back to his church and addressed the church 
uh, and tried to answer the question, why? Uh, how did this happen? I'll never forget this because I watched the video. Um, he held his Bible in front of his hand, and he said, here's what happened. He said, as if he had a spoon in his hand, he said, I got so busy doing this that I stopped doing this. You see that? It's possible to read the Bible but always be reading it for somebody else. And if you do that, you're building your house on sand. Okay? Number two. Okay? Number two. Read it occasionally. Only occasionally. Um, I noticed something uh, in my Bible study I'd never noticed before this week. Okay? So I'm excited about this. Uh, Do you guys remember in the Old Testament in Exodus when Israel is out in the wilderness and God starts raining down bread from heaven called manna? And God gives, he gives one directive about the manna. You guys remember? He said, Here, here's the thing about manna. He said, I'm going to bring it every morning. Morning by morning, there's going to be new manna for you. Um, but listen, you can only gather enough for one day. Every night, the manna's going to spoil. You can only gather, gather for the day. It won't keep for the night. And so he did that. And anybody that gathered two days' worth of manna, it would spoil at night. And they had to gather every single morning. And what God was trying to do is to teach them to walk day by day in faith, okay? Now, here's what I'd never noticed before. Have you noticed the New Testament treats the Bible like manna? Have you ever noticed this, okay? So, for instance, this is John 6. Look at what Jesus says in John 6. Truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, talking about manna, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. I'm the bread. I am the bread of life. So Jesus says, me... And I am the word of God. I'm the bread. I'll give you another one. In Matthew 4, listen to what Jesus says. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you know what the Bible is saying? The Bible is saying that the scriptures are like manna. You can only gather for the day. It doesn't keep overnight. It doesn't keep every day. I need to wake up and gather a new word from the Lord. Okay. And do you know why? Here's why. Um, I was talking to uh, an older gentleman in our church a few weeks ago who he was bragging on the faithfulness of his grandfather. By the way, uh, if you're like in my generation and down and like young family, that kind of thing, let's be different than the rest of our generation. Let's honor the generations that went before us. Let's, do, let's be the people of God in that way. And he was doing this, okay? So he was bragging on the faithfulness of his grandfather. Uh, and here's a story. His grandfather, when he was older, developed Alzheimer's. And every day, uh, his grandfather set an alarm for 7 a.m. He'd wake up, come out of his bed, and read his Bible for 20, 30 minutes, and then he'd go back to bed, okay? And that happened every day. And finally, they just asked him, said, Grandpa, um, why do you wake up every morning and read your Bible uh, and then go back to bed? And listen to his pure-hearted response. He said, because I keep forgetting what's in there. Now, listen. Do you realize that you are not different? We've all got spiritual Alzheimer's. And every single day, I need to be re-reminded of the love of God for me. I need to be re-reminded of Christ crucified and that he's worth it. So every day, listen, every single day, I need the word of God in my life because it's like manna. It doesn't keep overnight. Now listen, right now is the only time that I'm ever going to be okay with you playing with your phones while I'm preaching. Okay, here's what this is. We, we care so much about this that we want to help you get into a rhythm of reading your Bible daily. So here's what this is. Go ahead and toss this up on the screen. If you can, we've developed, we have an app at the bridge 
And there's a part of our app called Read the Book. Read the Book. And all you have to do is download our app and open up Read the Book. And every single day, you're going to get a notification on your phone. Here's today's Bible reading. And if you follow through with that, then in one year, you will read the New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs. So right now, if you're like, man, I've never done that before. I don't know where to start. Just download the app. Actually, keep that up on the screen. It's going to take them a second. Keep that, keep, keep, download the app and then just hit read the book. And then you can start every single day getting a reminder. Here's, keep it up on the screen. You're good. Keep it up there. Keep it up there. It's going to take them a second. Every day, just do that. And then you'll get that reminder, okay? So number two, read it occasionally, okay? Now, number three, way to build your house on the sand. Accept it selectively. You can build your house on sand by accepting it selectively. You guys ever heard that phrase? Uh, I said it a second ago. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You ever heard that before? Do you know who else is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Pharisees. Pharisees are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, let me ask you this question, okay? Pharisees knew the Bible better than you. By the time Pharisees were 13 years old, they had to have memorized the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And they spent the rest of their life studying the scriptures. Uh, But they were totally spiritually dead. So class, trivia question. What was the difference between the way the Pharisees related to the Bible and the way that unschooled, uneducated, ordinary men, the apostles, related to the Bible and were greatly used by God? What's the difference, okay? Well, actually, Jesus tells us the difference. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 23 about how the Pharisees related to the Bible. He said, you tithe. So they were tithing, not just their money, all the way down to like spices, mill, uh, uh, dill, mint, cumin, okay? He said, you tithe, but you're neglecting weightier matters of the law, doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with your God. And then Jesus said, you should be doing the former and the latter, okay? What Jesus was saying is they were only accepting the Bible selectively. They were deciding which parts they liked and wanted to make important and then which parts they wanted to ignore. Now, let me do something that's going to make some of you really uncomfortable, but just track with me. All right. This is a Bible. A lot of you guys guys know this. Um, Thomas Jefferson, one of our uh, nation's founders, Thomas Jefferson uh, was a big Bible guy. But Thomas Jefferson was was called a deist. So he believed in a clockmaker God, just wound it up and then backed off and then just let the universe run without ever intervening. Uh, So what Thomas Jefferson did is he read the Bible every day. Every day read the Bible. But there were parts of it that he uh, wanted to keep and there were parts of it that he wanted to cut. And so eventually he literally did that. Uh, For about six years of his life, instead of some of you guys wake up in the morning and you grab a pen... Thomas Jefferson, every morning, woke up, put his Bible on his lap, and he grabbed a pair of scissors. And every day, what he would do is, because he was a deist, he loved the commands of Jesus, his moral teaching. But he hated the miracles of Jesus, didn't believe that was true, and he hated any claim that Jesus uh, was the only way to God, the exclusivity of Jesus. So every day, what he would do is, he would literally, he would just read his Bible, and would keep all the commands... And then when he got to a page or a part that had a miracle in it, he would just sort of just tear that. Oh, that's uncomfortable for me to even do. He would just tear that part out and just kind of set that aside and be like, man, don't need that in my Bible. And uh, just sort of throw that part away. And then he'd keep reading. Some of you are really uncomfortable with this. Just track with me. He'd keep reading and go, man, 
uh, claim of exclusivity. Oh, I totally can't go there, Jesus. Really sorry. I'm out. And he would just uh, clip that part from his Bible, and he just kept going and going and going. He did that for six years. Until finally, when he's done, he had a Bible full of pages like that, uh, where he had kept the parts that he liked and cut the parts that he disagreed with. Now, here's what's really interesting. Uh, you can go view that Bible today. It's called the Jefferson Bible. Here's what's really interesting. Some of you internally cringe when you see me do that to the Bible in my hands, but you are totally comfortable doing it to the Bible that exists in your heart. Uh, you, you, here, you might be the opposite of Thomas Jefferson. You love the miracles of Jesus. You love the great works of God. But when it comes to his commands, like you're reading along and when it goes, oh man, that's what Jesus says about sex. Ah, and you just sort of cut that out of the Bible in your heart. Not that important. Or when it comes to what Jesus says about money, man, I'm just going to cut that out. Not important. Or when it comes to what Jesus says about living our life for the kingdom of God as a priority, I'm going to cut that out. Not important. And what you've done is you are accepting the Bible selectively. Okay, listen, listen. The wise man treats the whole counsel of Jesus as wonderful. The foolish man treats the counsel of Jesus as optional. Okay, that is building your house on sand. Okay, that's number three. Now listen, here's number four. The fourth way you can do this is you can, now track with me. You can build your house on sand by reading the Bible only intellectually. Only intellectually. Now here's what I mean by this, okay? Uh, I'm specifically speaking to you if you are a lifelong student of the word. I'm speaking to you double if you've spent any time in seminary or any Bible college. I'm speaking to you triple if you base your identity on being a knowledgeable person of the word and you know your theology. Now, here's what I'm, I'm going to use some really big words here for a second. 90% of you are not going to know what these words mean. If you do know what these words mean, I'm especially speaking to you because this is probably the greatest danger in your life. So here's what it looks like. There is a way to read the Bible for only information and not for transformation. There's a way to do that. Now, here's what this looks like. This is the guy who has an incredible doctrine of marriage. He can explain to you the ins and outs of complementarianism, but his wife is miserable. Uh, this is the guy with a pristine ecclesiology. He has a perfect doctrine of the church, but he's divisive and negative as a church member. Uh, this is the person who has a robust doctrine of salvation. You've got a, a crystal clear soteriology, but you never weep over the souls of the lost, and you don't have a single friend that doesn't know Christ. Okay, If that's you, what you're probably doing is reading for information and not for transformation. Okay, do you guys remember when we were kids? This is so simple. I heard it somebody, somebody say it like this. Do you guys remember when we were kids and we used to play that game, Simon Says? You guys remember that? Everybody remembers that game except if you're really young because there's not an app for Simon Says. Okay, this is so, Simon Says is such a simple game. It's like, man, Simon Says, pat your head, you pat your head, right? Uh, Simon Says, rub your stomach, you rub your stomach. Simon Says, jump up and down, you jump up and down. Such a simple game. But for some reason, the game Jesus says in the church is totally different. Uh, if Jesus says, we just have to memorize it. We, we just have to study it. Can, can you imagine this? Imagine I got a six-year-old. Imagine that I go home today and I say to Eliana, Eliana, 
go clean your room. And she goes upstairs, and 30 minutes later, she comes down, and she goes, Dad, I memorized what you said. You said, Eliana, go clean your room. Then she says, I can say it in Greek. Then later she goes, Dad, guess what? Me and all my friends from the neighborhood, we are all going to come over, and once a week we're going to have a study on what it would be like if I cleaned my room. It's going to be amazing. Okay, well, I want you to imagine this. How would I feel as a dad? Not very good. Do you know why? Because I just wanted her to go and clean her room. You see, that's what it looks like to read the Bible intellectually. You read it all for information and not for transformation. Now, do you guys want to know what it looks like to build your house on the rock? Here's what it looks like to build your house on the rock. There was an older deacon at my old church, an incredibly godly man. And uh, he said that what he did every day is he would take his Bible in his hands before he read it. And he'd put his hands on the top and he would pray, God, whatever I read today, I've already decided the answer is yes. Um, He told us a story to a a Sunday school class he taught. He said one day he was reading a passage. It's only one chapter earlier than the one I'm talking about right now. Where You guys remember where Jesus says, um, if if you're at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and first go and be reconciled to your brother. And he read those two verses and he said he immediately closed his Bible and picked up his journal and wrote down the names of every single person he needed to call that day. Now, why did he use that story as a positive example? Do you know why? Because two verses obeyed are better than 200 read. That's why. This is a firm foundation. Uh, one of my favorite Bible teachers, Beth Moore. Okay, Beth Moore. She has this, she says, I want to put it up on the screen because it's so good. In fact, look, actually don't look at that yet, okay? I wanted to show it to you because I wrote it in the back of my Bible so that I can say it to myself every day. It's right there, right before I read, okay? She says, here's what you got to do. Sit before God with an open Bible and say, I'm here to hear. Not to rationalize, weaponize, downsize, or sloganize. Just to hear God. And when you do that, what you begin to do is you are fixing your feet on a foundation that can last. Now listen, if you're paying attention... Right now, you might be asking the question, well, man, how do I know, you know? If both are hearers, and then a lot of the foundation work is under the surface, how do I know, Josh, if I'm building my house on rock or sand? Well, did you guys notice about this passage that, first of all, storms came to both? It's not like, hey, if you're a Christian and you're walking with Christ, you're not going to have storms. No, no, no. Storms come to both. One of them just withstands the storm. Now, think about this with me. If you are on ground... And you were looking at both these houses, rock and sand. Remember, foundations are under the surface. So if you were looking at these houses, you would not be able to tell the difference between them with your naked eye. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have any idea which one was one. You will never know which foundation they're built on until when? Until the storm comes. Uh, do you guys know what the purpose of storms is? The purpose of storms is to reveal the foundation. Uh, Do you know, sometimes that is why God will bring and allow painful storms into your life. Because he wants to reveal to you that the foundation you're building your life on is unstable. And he wants to drive you to the only place upon which your feet can stand for eternity. That's why God will allow storms into your life. Um, Years ago, 
I heard uh, it's an, there's an old preacher story, um, and it's a story. It's a story of the two lumberjacks. The story goes like this: Once upon a time, two lumberjacks uh, wandered out into a field, and they were getting ready to chop down an entire forest. And they came to the first tree, and they looked up, and they noticed that two birds were nesting in the top of the tree. And the two lumberjacks, in their great heart of love, thought this. They thought, man, this tree's going to come down someday. I need to save this bird. And so they took their axes and turned them to where the flat side was facing the front. And they just started wailing on the trunk of the tree until the tree shook. And the bird was scared. And so the bird took flight. Uh, But the problem was the bird just flew to the next tree. And the lumberjacks looked at that tree and they thought, man... Uh, that tree's going to come down someday too. And so they walked up to that one and they started wailing on that tree and it shook and the bird was scared and the bird took flight and then it flew to the next tree and the next tree and the next tree until finally those two birds alighted from a tree and they began to nest in the rocks of a cliff. And then the lumberjacks looked at the place where the birds nested and they said, that's a safe place. That place will stand. And they left them alone because they knew they were, they knew that they were safe. Now listen, some of you, that is exactly what's happening in your life right now. Uh, Right now, you're having career problems, you're having marriage issues, or you're having financial problems that you never thought that you would have, and you're wondering, where is God? Does he not love me? And listen, do you know what's happening? That's not happening to you because God doesn't love you. It's happening to you because God does love you. And he knows, he's looking at that thing in your life that you're building your foundation on, And he's saying, that tree is going to come down someday. And I've got to drive them to a rock that can withstand the storm of eternity. Now listen, some of you, uh, here's where you are today. Um, I know this. Some of you have been around the bridge for six or eight weeks now. And you are starting to realize that you need to take a step of faith. And you need to cross a line of faith. And maybe for the first time in your life, you're starting to realize, man... I need to get off of some shifting sand and I need to plant my feet on the solid rock of Jesus because he is the only thing that's going to last through eternity. Um, If that's you, man, could you go and do this? Could you just bow your heads and close your eyes right now? Bow your heads and close your eyes. If that's you and you need to cross a line of faith and give your life to him, would you just pray this with me to express what's in your heart? Would you just pray, Lord, I know that I have sinned and I have built my life on things other than Jesus. And I need your forgiveness. Father, I believe that your son, Jesus, died for me. And he took the punishment of me putting other things in my life first. And he rose again so that he could give me eternal life. Father, thank you for loving me so much that you would die for me. Today, I receive the free gift of forgiveness and salvation and adoption in Jesus. And as much as I know how, from this point forward, I want to follow you, putting you first in my life. Thank you for adopting me as a son or daughter of the living God. Keep keep your heads bowed, eyes closed. Could you do this? Uh, Here in a second, um, if you crossed a line of faith today and you uh, prayed um, to Jesus, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand in a second, just so that I can know who I'm praying for. Uh, But here's why I'm asking you to raise your hand. Um, Something solidifies in you spiritually when you respond physically. It just happens. Something 
solidifies in you spiritually when you respond physically. So on count of three, if that's you, would you just slip your hand up so that I know who I'm praying for? On count of three, would you do that? One, God loves you. Two, you came here for a reason today. Three, just put your hand up right now. Yeah, praise Christ. Yes. Amen. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Amen. Amen. Well, Bridge family, you can open your eyes. Amen. Can we celebrate 11 people praying to cross a line of faith? And he yeah. yeah. We never, ever, 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 we never, ever, ever want to stop celebrating that. Man, if that's you, we're going to have some instruction for you at the end of the service because we want to pass through you. Um, here's what I want to do right now, Bridge family. Stay in your seat. We're getting ready to celebrate um, salvation in baptism with people who made that decision uh, sometime in the last few months or whenever. And so, man, here's what we can do. As, as we sing this last song, we're also going to worship by celebrating new salvation with new brothers and sisters in Christ. So the first thing they should hear as they come up out of the water um, are the shouts of celebration and applause of their church family. Uh, you guys good for that? Can we do that? I think we can do that. So, man, let's sing. And let's celebrate. Do that right now.